I'm going to play a little trivia this morning, uh, but I need you to keep the answer if you have it in your head, all right? So it's kind of a rhetorical thing. Keep this in your head. Um, name this baseball player. Name this baseball player. He played 21 years in the major leagues for the same ball club, was an all-star 19 of 21 years that he played. He was the first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, he's in the top 10 of votes, percentage of votes received all time. He was a two-time Golden Glove at shortstop. Giving you a little more information here. Shortstop and third base. Um, he was the MVP of the AL multiple years. Who's this player? Don't say it out loud. You might not know. You, you could still be a true baseball fan and not know yet who I'm talking about, but I'm going to give you one statistic. If you know baseball history, I'm going to give you one more statistic and you will immediately know who this guy is. 2,632. That's the number of consecutive baseball games that this man played without taking a day off. When he was hurt, he played. When he was sick, he played. When his team wasn't very good, a lot of that time, he played. Let me put this in perspective. From 1982 to 1998, the average baseball season is 161-ish games. This man played 60, the equivalent of 16 years. 16 years without missing a day. Who is this guy? They called him the Iron Man, rightfully so, of baseball, Cal Ripken Jr. Man, I, I don't know about you, but like my senior year of high school was probably the only year I had perfect attendance. And the only reason I had perfect attendance, which my, my classmates made fun of me for, because my parents wouldn't let me skip on senior skip day because they were parents. I mean, I made it one year out of 18 years without missing something. This guy did it for 16 plus years. He was dependable. He was consistent, reliable. He was also a great teammate. He was humble. Let me ask you a question. Are you dependable? Are you consistent? Do people look at you and say, I can count on them to show up in your workplace, in your home, in your church? Are you Dependable? Can you be counted on? Or do you show up when there's something in it for you? When you're in the spotlight. See, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament found these traits to also be invaluable in something more than a baseball game. He found this to be invaluable for the kingdom of God, that the gospel might advance. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 19 through 30 this morning. As you turn there, if you're just jumping in with us in the book of Philippians, we've been in it for a number of weeks. A little bit of background. This letter that Paul writes to Philippians is about joy. It's about the pursuit of joy in Christ that he and he alone can bring. And he's going to encourage them in this book. He's done some of that. He's called them to humility. And he's pointed ultimately at Jesus to say he was the humble servant that took the form of God and the form of man and emptied himself. He's the example of humility. He's the example of what it looks like to put others' interests above your own. And ironically, this last week, Paul then turns and says, Hey, don't grumble and complain, but be lights. I mean, I don't know about you, but I did some grumbling and complaining this last week. I don't know. I failed at not grumbling and complaining, but that was where we left it off last week. And in this text, from verses 19 through 30, 
Paul's going to show you some average Joes. Just living life in the mundane, an ordinary life, and point to their average mundane lives and say, they are model servants. There's a couple of guys that Paul points to who are functionally Cal Ripken type people who are iron men of the faith that we're going to look like, that they showed up, who Paul could count on. And he's going to highlight their lives and what, what is effectively, at the end of chapter 2, a, a travel itinerary. It's Paul saying, here's what we're going to do and here's who I'm going to send you. But in that, he shows us some model servants in these two men. I want you to notice something, maybe in the epistles, maybe you've noticed this and maybe you've not. But in the epistles, what Paul often does to make a point is use people. As examples, he uses good examples like he's going to use in this text, and he uses bad examples. See, a good preacher is always looking for sermon illustrations, whether they're good or bad. And so Paul's going to show us some model servants, run-of-the-mill guys who are living faithful, one-step-at-a-time lives. So look at it in verse 19 through 30 with me. I'm going to read it, um, verses 19 through 30 in Philippians chapter 2. I think it'll be up here as well. Bible on the end of your row if you need one. Uh, Verse 19. Let's read God's word. I'll read God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus, this is Paul, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned with your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Excuse me, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he who has been longing for you, all that has been distressed, because he heard, you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only to him, but also me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send them, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men." For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here's what I want you to remember. I want to give you the situation again. Paul's in house arrest in Rome, right? And he doesn't know if he's going to live or he's going to die. Caesar's making a decision and he's waiting on that decision. And this text tells us that Timothy is with him to encourage him, to help him in his time of distress, in his time of trouble. And here's what's happened. Epaphroditus is a layman. He's a person in the Philippian church. And he takes a financial gift all the way from Philippi to Rome to give to Paul. I don't know. Back then, this is weird. Maybe this is good prison reform in our day. But back then, when you were in prison, you had to pay your own way. So Paul is needing financial help to pay his own way as as well as to take care of the people in Philippi who are in need. And so the Philippian church sends Epaphroditus to him to deliver this gift. And the reason you have this letter in the book of Philippians is because Epaphroditus brings that letter back. 
to the Philippian church, this letter of encouragement and thanksgiving over that gift. And so that's what's going on. But while it looks like, while Epaphroditus is heading to Rome, he gets sick, like to the point of death. So he stays in Rome for a little while. He stays in Rome, he gets better, and then Paul sends him back. That's the situation. I want to show you these three model servants, though. And I say three because you can go, well, Paul's talking about Timothy, and he's talking about Epaphroditus. But in so doing, Paul's writing this, and I want to point out some things about Paul. See, Paul here is a selfless, here's your first point, Paul is a selfless sending leader of leaders. That's what you see about Paul's life. He's not drawing attention to that, but I'm going to draw attention to Paul first and show you that he's a selfless sending leader of leaders. He's a reproducing disciple. Do you see it? He's raised up Timothy. He led Timothy to faith. He led Timothy to faith. Looks like 12 to 15 years before this. He's raised him up. He's trained him up. And he's with him. Now, if you're Paul and you're kind of wondering if you're going to live or die, it'd be nice to have somebody by your bedside, wouldn't it? It'd be nice to have somebody to encourage you. And he even says this about these two men, is that I was in need. And, and note that for a minute. If you're a leader and you're a servant and, and you're over people, it may be that you really enjoy serving people, but when people try to serve you, is it hard? See, Paul, out in the open, is saying, I have need. And so I can imagine in that situation going, man, I'd really rather keep Epaphroditus here with me. I'd rather keep Timothy with me. But look at his heart. His heart is to do what? Four times in this passage, twice with Timothy, twice with Epaphroditus, says, I'm going to send him back to you. Even though I have need, I'm going to send him back to you. Because he sees the bigger kingdom picture. He doesn't hoard for himself these men. He's selfless and sending. He's a shepherd. He wanted to cheer them on, verse 19. Did you see it there? He wants the best for the Philippian church above his own needs. He's encouraging them. And yet he's human and he has his own needs that he speaks about. You also see with Paul here that he's putting his hope and trust in Christ. Whatever comes, right? Whatever comes. Here he's hopeful, right? He's hopeful that he will come back. But he doesn't know what's going to happen. And it's interesting because in church life, what often happens is when we think about discipleship, we get the idea that we need to share the gospel with people. We get the idea that we need to go to Bible study and we need to be in community group and we need to serve to grow and mature. But often the thing that's missing in, in churches, often the thing that's missing is this idea of multiplication. Do you see it here with Paul? Like he's raised these guys up and he doesn't hoard them for himself, but he sends them out to bless. And that's the beauty of being a church, at least in my mind, that wants to plant other churches, that wants to take community groups in our church and go, hey, we're going to miss each other, but we've gotten so big that we probably need to multiply. We probably need to multiply this group for more impact. Um, to be a multiplying church, I don't know if you've looked at our website and looked at our mission statement. We probably should talk about it more. But our mission statement is that we exist to glorify God by making disciples, which is the charge of the church, right? And how do we do that? We, we do that um, by growing and maturing, and also multiplying an authentic community. And so we want to be like this. This is a great example where Paul says, I could keep these guys to myself, but it's better if they, these guys multiply. And you know what? It's better for those guys because they're going to get more experience in leading. 
You know, whether it's in, a ch- in church world or the business world, um, you ever see this situation where a company or a church kind of hoards their own talent? And they, they raise people up and they train people up and they want to use them in their little kingdom. But oftentimes those people remain underdeveloped because they're not sent out. They're not sent out um, to bless others. The great leaders that you see in the world have hold their hands very open with their best to multiply and grow. And I think that's true in the church too. Oftentimes the church hoards talent and says, I want to lead I want this person to lead instead of sending out and being a blessing, not Paul. And so let me ask you this. What ways do you put others' needs in the church above your own as Paul, you see here with Paul? Do you have any Timothys or Epaphroditus's in your life? Let's say you're a little bit older and maybe you're going, man, I'm not a leader. Uh, I don't like the spotlight. That's not really what I'm talking about. There are people in your life, all of you, kids included, like your younger siblings look to you. And maybe that's annoying sometimes, but they look up to you. You're a leader in some way. In some influence, you have leadership. Whether you're a kid or a young adult or a parent with children or where you work, you have influence on other people. What kind of influence is it? And are you pouring into your younger brother, your younger sister, or someone around you in a way that encourages them and builds them up? Are you pouring into anybody in your life? This is what Paul did He poured into other people and released them and blessed them to care for others. And it produced this multiplication. The other thing that's going on here that's always interesting, when I think of discipleship, I often think of, okay, I'm older and wiser, you're younger, and so you need to learn from me. That's kind of one model of discipleship out there as far as relational discipleship. So you're going to learn from me, and I'm going to teach you everything, and then you're going to go do it with somebody else. But here's what's interesting here. These guys have been under Paul for a long time, but notice that they are encouraging him. And so rather than seeing discipleship all one way, what you see here is they are blessing the guy who has led them, who has led them to Christ. They're caring for him in his need. I'll tell you this. In life, some of the hardest places that I've ever been, it's been people like former students in my youth group who are now grown up because I'm old, Um, that are caring for me in the hardest times in my life that come over and goes, man, I'm praying for you. Hey, think about this. And that's what you see here, that that it's not this kind of relationship. It's more a a, a mutual relationship in discipleship that you see, and you see it with these guys caring for Paul in his need. So how do I do that? Like if, if there's people in my life that I can pursue to, to raise up, what does that look like? I mean, I, Sometimes as we get older, we're like, well, it'd be kind of arrogant for me to go, hey, I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to lead you with somebody in my church. Uh, I would encourage you to just consider people around you, people in your community group or people you know in this church or people, your neighbors that that you're just maybe a little older and wiser and particularly in the faith to go, hey, you want to go grab coffee sometime? You want to go grab breakfast sometime and get to know each other? That's a non-threatening way to encourage you to encourage that kind of relationship in somebody's life. So take the initiative. And I love leading and preaching, and I've figured out how to do administration and stuff like that with my job, but there's nothing more in ministry that fuels my heart for ministry than meeting with other people and helping them grow and watching God do the work in their life to see them grow. 
And I think that's what you see in Paul's heart here as well. He was selfless. He was a selfless sending leader of leaders. But I want you to remember something about you know, selflessness and some of the other characteristics we're going to talk about this morning that you see in Timothy and Epaphroditus. Like, you don't just pull up your bootstraps and go, okay, I'm going to be selfless. I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to be sacrificial. See, I think what's happening here, his love for God, his love for God is infusing, infusing his love for people. The reason he's not just looking out for his own interests is because he loves God and that translates into a love for people and a care for people beyond himself. Remember the last text? Don't look out for your own interest. Clearly, Paul is not looking out for his own interest here. And so remember that as you think about pursuing a selfless heart for others. Remember that it stems from and it's, it comes out of the fountain of your love for God, which produces a love for people around you. So maybe if you're going, man, it's really hard for me to love people right now. Maybe we need to check back in with the Lord and go, hey, where's my love for God? That translates into love for people. So look at Timothy here in verse 19 through 24. So that's Paul. Timothy is this steadfast, look at it. He's this steadfast servant leader. This is your second idea. Look at verse 19 through 24. Look at the different ways in which Paul characterizes Timothy. See, Timothy is his protege. He's led him to Christ. For 12 years they've been together. And he's his right-hand man. He's the number two under the number one. And what's the job of the number two? To make the number one look good. Actually, to make God look good. But here's the, here's the idea. Look at what Paul has to say about him. Like, this is a great job. Like, if you're looking for someone in your company or in your church, this is what you're probably looking for in general or specifically. I would say this for the church. These are the characteristics and traits I would look for in a pastor. For I have no one like him. Listen, Paul had all kinds of people around him. It wasn't a lack of people. It was a, what he's saying here is he's the best. There's nobody like Timothy and here's what that looks like. Who will be, here's why. He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's what it looks like to be a shepherd. Timothy cares for people. He's going to protect and care for this Philippian church. And so Paul's endearing the Philippians to Timothy, describing who he is. There's no one I have like him. That's a great recommendation. He's concerned with your welfare. Look at verse 21. For they all seek their own interest. Remember back in Philippians where, where we have these people that are sharing the gospel, but they're doing out of their own selfish motivation, their desire for the spotlight? These are the people that are around. And he's saying, hey, he's the guy that's going to look out not for his own interest, but the interest of others. And then verse 22. Listen to this. You know Timothy's proven worth. Not, he hasn't just been doing this for a day or two. He's been doing this for a long time. There's a proven track record that Timothy has as a servant, as someone who is steadfast. He's got a proven record. That's high marks. I mean, that's the kind of person you want to employ in your business, that you know you can count on them to manage the store when you're not there, to not dip into the finances, but to lead people well and care for people well. That's the person you pay a lot of money in your business to hire. So you can trust them with your business. I would say the same thing in a church. This is the type of person that you're looking for to put on your staff that is hardworking, that is dependable, that you know is going to show up, that you don't have to motivate and motivate and motivate. So this is a great recommendation from Paul to the Philippian church about Timothy. This is a description of his value. All right. 
I want you to think about that as it relates to the church. I've just said it a, a number of ways, um, but, but this is what it looks like to develop and hire people in a church to c- take care of. And here's what, often what happens in life. And in the world that we live in, and it's true out there and it's true in the church, is that we look at people who are uber, uber gifted, and then we forget that it matters, their character matters. And so whether that's in your business or whether it's in the church, that's important. Gifted people are important. We need competency in the church. We need competency in business. But listen, um, when we overlook character for uber giftedness, bad things happen. All you got to do is look at your app in the churches and say, man, that guy is an incredible teacher or he's a catalytic leader. But have we checked his character? Have we continued to check his character? Are there elders in a church that are checking his character? It's important. It's important in the church. I remember meeting, hiring a number of people in ministry. And I remember this one guy that we were looking to hire. And he answered questions in a way that just made us think, man, He's looking for his own platform. And this is probably the most gifted guy by far out of 80 resumes that we saw. But it seems like from how he's answering questions, he's all about himself. He's all about his own platform. And the mistake that we would make in that situation to go, you know what, we can work on character because he's uber gifted. And it's going to bolster this. And we're going to have a platform that we've never had before. And we said, no, man, you're super gifted, but it seems like you just want a platform. Those were your words. (laughs) And so it's important in the church, it's important in life to look for people who have proven character like Timothy. So here are a few questions for you. Timothy could follow. Do you see that? Like he followed Paul. If Paul said, go do this, he did it. Can you follow? Can you play in the sandbox with other people who are above you? Oftentimes we want to lead, but if we can't follow, we don't get to lead very well. And if we do, we don't lead well. So have you learned to follow others? Those are the best kind of leaders, men and women who've learned to follow other people. Do you have a Paul in your life? I don't think this just happened for Timothy. I think he loved God and he loved people, but Paul invested in his life. So I want you to think about your life. Do you have any Pauls in your life to invest in you, to challenge you, to encourage you, to build you up? Are you just out there solo? Man, there's many men that God has put in my path. I come from a broken family and God has put so many people in my life. But you know what? Those people that he's put in my life, I had to make a decision to go, I'm going to let you in. (laughs) That's the hardest part of this deal, to go, am I going to let this person in? I think you need to be careful who you let in, but you need to let people in that are trustworthy. I think of a guy named Michael Boys in my life. Was, I was under him in ministry. He was my lead pastor for 17 years, and he taught me how to care for people. A dumb, well, a guy who had a lot of knowledge coming out of school, but was completely green in ministry and thought it worked one way, and it was my way. And he taught me how to pastor people and care for people. A guy named Jim, Jimmy Bailey, Patrick's dad, right over here. Jimmy Bailey, the best encourager I know. If Jimmy spoke, I, I listened. Because I know he loves me, but he's older and wiser. Johnny Polk, who's a guy at camp that I worked for. 
amazing man who loves Jesus who would challenge the heck out of me. And I didn't like it a lot of the time. But he's a guy in my life that I point to to go, he helped me grow and he helped me learn. There's a guy named Mark Perry in my life who led me to Christ. And I don't know why he did this, but he and his wife let me live with them while I was in seminary. I, was, I, I couldn't keep my room up. I, could, I mean, they should have kicked me out. But they loved on me and cared for me. He led me to Christ when I was in college. Sorry. I mean, just kept inviting me to church. I'd keep standing him up for church. I'd stand him up for Bible study. Just kept loving on me. Came to Jesus a couple years later. He's like, hey, I know you're going to seminary. Do you need a place to stay? We'd love to have you. And I got to watch their family. And Paul's in my life that have made a huge impact. Those are some of the greatest gifts that God can give you if you'll receive it. If you'll open yourselves up. So how do you do that? You watch for faithfulness. You know, you're not just going to open your life up to anybody, right? I wouldn't. You want to watch for faithfulness. You want to ask them to coffee. You pay and they can pray. All right, if you're going to do that. And see where it goes. Be proactive. There's a lot of ways in this church you can be proactive that way. With women's ministry and men's ministry and community groups and participation where you can develop relationships with people. So I'd encourage you to do that. And last, look at this. So we've seen Paul and Timothy. Those are like the celebrity, celebrity ministry guys that you see in the Bible. You ever heard of Epaphroditus before? Can you even, I, it was hard for me to say it. I had to practice it this week. Like, who is this guy? There's five verses in the Bible about this guy. That's it. But you're going to know him when you get to heaven, so you can talk to him about what Paul said about him. These five verses, look at it. Verse 25 through 30. Epaphroditus. Here's who Epaphroditus is. Here's how I would summarize what Paul says about him. He's the sacrificial volunteer servant. He's the guy that has a day job, who shows up, who participates. He's the volunteer leader. He's the guy that goes on the mission trip and pays his own way to go and serve people. He's the guy, he's the person in the church that comes and sets up chairs and comes and sets up a stage and comes and serves in kids' ministry, and comes and greets people at the door in hospitality, a person who opens up their home, a person who has a full-fledged life where they're working from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., have family life, and yet they find time and effort to go, I'm going to be a good churchman. I'm going to glorify God by being a part of my church, that the glory of the gospel might be proclaimed in this place. He's like the people like you who are sitting in those chairs. He's not the paid person. He's the person who volunteers. And he, look what he did. He volunteered his time to go from Philippi all the way to Rome. He got sick. He almost died. And he comes back. And you know what Paul says about his life? Honor people like him. That's his profile. He's really an unknown. He served in the church. He was trustworthy enough to send the financial gift over to Paul in Rome. You know, you might look at that and go, well, the Bible says here there are five things that Paul says about him. He's a brother, so he's a Christian. He's a worker. He works hard. He's a soldier. He's part of God's army, if you will. He's a messenger. He's the guy who sent the gift And he's a minister. And lest you think of that word in the wrong way, well, minister sounds like official position, right? 
And actually the word here for minister is a one who serves at his own expense. He's somebody who serves at his own expense. He's a volunteer. This is, he's got a day job. He sacrificed his own time for the sake of the gospel. Goes to Rome. By the way, beyond getting sick, going to Rome was dangerous. Because Caesar, with Christians, wasn't a, wasn't a good thing. Like we, They had problems, so it was a dangerous mission for him to go on. And even after he got sick, he doesn't turn back. He goes, and then he comes back. He, you know the movie Rudy? Remember that movie? Everybody loves a movie like Rudy. He was the walk-on to Notre Dame. He, he paved his own path to get there. He wasn't the scholarship guy. He was undersized. They wailed on him, beat him up, and he kept coming back for more. And he was praised for that. He was honored for that. You know, see the, today you see these videos that come out of the college team and the walk-on who comes on and he's in like year two and he has a full-time job, no scholarship, going to school, trying to make his grades, trying to pay for it and trying to do something like play on a football team or a baseball team. And you see the huddle, the video of the huddle. And the coach says something like, Hey, all of you knuckleheads, like, y'all, y'all have got your own way paved, but these guys have been working. What time did you work till? 11 last night. You showed up at 6 a.m. to the gym. You come to practice. You're faithful. And then in the end, there's this huddle, and you're like, you're now on scholarship. And all the players go nuts. Because these guys have earned their stripes, if you will. And it blows me away. There's so many Epaphroditus's sitting in these chairs. And I love it. It makes my role as a pastor just exciting to know that, man, these people come early on Sunday morning and set up and care for this church. This is a mobile church. There's a lot of work that has to be done um, for us to even meet on a Sunday. You open up your homes. That's a beautiful thing in a church where you have people who serve and care for the church in that way. And so I feel blessed. So do you see church as a place of sacrificial service or a place to consume? Man, there's a lot of Epaphroditus here, and it's a joy for, for us to serve you. Um, so, so three servants, really, right? Paul, the selfless, sending servant leader of leaders. See, Timothy, the steadfast servant. He's proven worth. There's nobody like him. He's going to show up. And Epaphroditus, this man who was a volunteer, who was sacrificial, He almost lost his life. And you know what the outcome is for Paul? Paul says, what do you do with people like this? You honor them. You lift them up. The caution here is this, though. There's a caution here. As I just talk about selflessness and steadfastness and being sacrificial, the tendency is to think, okay, Paul was selfless, Timothy was steadfast, Epaphroditus was sacrificial in and of themselves. They pulled up their bootstraps and they were doing this. But the caution to that is this. And I said it earlier, I'm going to say it one more time. I don't want to preach a message that says pull up your bootstraps. Because that's not what's happening in Paul's life. That's not what's happening in Epaphroditus' life. That's not what's happening in Titus' life. You see, a love for God produced a love for other people. That's how you get here. The reason we could say they're model servants is because they loved God and that produced a love for people. Paul has this kind of warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
The Corinthian church needed a lot of correction, if you remember them. A lot of correction. And you come to the end of chapter 12, and he's been correcting them because they've been using God's gifts in the wrong way. And at the end of chapter 12, if you've got a Bible, you can flip there. At the end of chapter 12, you know, the body of Christ is supposed to function where there's different gifts. And we don't elevate one gift over the other, but that's what they were doing. And it was interesting because Paul says this, hey guys, there's a more excellent way. Even with the gifts that you're trying to exercise. And then you come to chapter 13. And he says this. And, and it's kind of perspective he's trying to give them. His perspective about loving others and caring for others as opposed to, I've got this gift, I've got that gift, you don't. He gives them perspective. And his admonition to them is about love. Primarily to the leaders, about loving other people. And here's what he says in chapter 13, if you've got a Bible, look at it. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If if we had the drums over here, I'd just start banging on them right now. I mean, what, what, he, what he's saying is, is that even the language of heaven is annoying if you don't have love. What do you think about that? Even the language of heaven is annoying if you don't have love. Keep looking. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge... All mysteries and knowledge, man, that means that I'm really smart and I know all things, man. If you know all things, that's great, but it means nothing. You can be really smart and know a lot about the Bible. And Paul's saying if you don't have love for one another, it means nothing. Keep going. And if I have all faith, meaning faith to remove mountains, like I have this risk-taking faith and I'm going to trust God in all kinds of situations, it's worthless. Even great faith is worthless without love for others. Keep looking. And if I give away all I have, and I deliver my body up to be burned, I give away all I have, I'm a servant, right? I'm selfless, I'm caring for others. What he's saying is, you can give away all your money, and it's not profitable if you don't have love. You can be the servant. You can be selfless and steadfast. And last, he says this. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, meaning even if you give up the ultimate thing, even if you give up your life, it's worthless. It's pointless if you don't have love. So you see what Paul's doing? He's taking their selfishness and saying, the reason this is manifesting itself is because you don't love God and you don't love others. D.A. Carson, when he commented on these five things, like you, you got five things that I just went through, and there's one thing that they didn't have. Kids, what's five minus one? It's four, right? Spiritually speaking, D.A. Car Carson says this, the spiritual math on this is that five minus one equals zero. If you don't have love, none of that matters. And so as we pursue, and we rightfully should, as we pursue selflessness and steadfastness and sacrifice, we need to remember that the way that that really happens is by loving God because it produces a love for people. I mentioned Cal Ripken Jr. in the beginning. One more thing. The last season of his career, 
2001. Made the all-star team, but he made the all-star team as a third baseman. Last five years of his playing career, he moved from shortstop to third base. So he was a starting third baseman in the all-star game in 2001. And there was another guy who was arguably the best player in the league in 2001. His name was Alex Rodriguez. And he played shortstop. And he was the starting shortstop in this game. And you see the camera, I remember this game, watching it. And you see some commotion before the game. They're warming up, they're out on the field, tossing ground balls. And you see Alex Rodriguez. And the commentators know what's going on. Cal Ripken Jr. looks like he's the only guy who doesn't know what's going on. And Alex Rodriguez decides to say, he goes over to Cal Ripken Jr. And he motions to shortstop. Because he wanted to honor him for his consistency and dependability and honor him as he was retiring to go, no, your place today is at shortstop. Cal Rimpkin Jr. didn't want to do it. Joe Torrey says, get over there, skipper. He gets over there, standing ovation for a few minutes from the crowd. They honored this man because he was dependable, because he was consistent. Because he was somebody to be counted upon. And I think about that and I think about, man, it's just a game. And maybe that's what you're saying to me. You're using these examples. It's just a game. Man, the kingdom of God and the gospel advances is no game. It's eternal. All the more reason for you and me to pursue being servants of the Most High. And as I think about these three men in the passage that we've walked through and their selflessness and their sacrifice and their steadfastness, it only points me to one person. The ultimate man. The ultimate man who was selfless. Who would give up his life for ours. Like an unblemished life. He didn't sin. But he's willing to go to the cross on our behalf. There's nothing more selfless than that. For a man who's willing to sacrifice. Who would lay his life down for you and me. That we might have life. That we might have freedom that we just talked about. That our change would be gone. That we could be free to worship God and know God. That's what Christ has done for you on a cross. And last... Jesus' steadfastness. He upholds this world by the word of his power every second of every day. That's the only reason you draw breath. And I draw breath. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's always interceding for us. See, Jesus is the ultimate selfless one. He's the ultimate sacrifice and he is still steadfast. And dependable for you and for me. So your takeaway today is you can count on Jesus. He is the ultimate selfless, sacrificial, steadfast servant. So listen. When life is kind of crazy. And your pipes are busted. And you can't count on your pipes. You can't count on water. You can't count on electricity. can't count on neighbor. And you can't count on your family or other people. You can count on Jesus. He's dependable, consistent, 
He's always there. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this text and your word that remind us that we can count on you. Thank you that we can look at the scripture and see examples, just just ordinary people living ordinary lives that got up in the morning and served. They put one foot in front of the other that were faithful to just get up and serve your kingdom. Lord, help us be people like that. We can't do that on our own. Help us cultivate love for you and love for others. And Lord, I pray that the Spirit would do what we can. It would produce a heart of service, an interest for others, and that that might have the result of us shining in Magnolia, Texas for you. That people would look and neighbors would look and coworkers would look and people around us would look and say they're different. Not just to be different, but they're lights that point to Jesus. That we would be, as a church, a city set on a hill that people would see our love for people and know your love. Help us open our mouths to tell people about the good news of Jesus. In his name.